You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Columbus Business First, newest episode of the Women of Influence podcast. I'm your host, Emily Bench, and this podcast features a sit-down chat between me and some of the sharpest and most successful women executives in Columbus. In it, we talk about the professional risks they've taken and the ups and downs of getting to where they are today. Well, with us today on the show is Kate Finley, founder and CEO of Bell Communications, an award-winning and top-ranked digital PR and social media firm. Kate, I'm so excited for you to be here today. I am thrilled to be here. Yeah. Can't wait to chat. Launched in 2013 with big dreams, bootstraps, and a laptop, Kate took the leap into entrepreneurship at age 28 with the vision to do public relations counter to the industry's work-obsessed norms. Bell was founded on the belief that meaningful work and thriving relationships can coexist. More recently, lifestyle design, conscious capitalism, and radical candor, which I can't wait to talk about, mm-hmm. each influence a culture Bell has today. In her community, Kate is the board president for anti-human trafficking social enterprise Freedom a la Carte and serves as co-chair for its annual fundraiser, Eat Up Columbus. She also founded and leads Boss Society, which I also really want to talk about, (laughs) a professional network for millennial female business owners in Central Ohio. Since her first month in business, Kate has been featured as a source and contributor to top outlets like CNN Money, Entrepreneur, Huffington Post, CIO, PR Week, Cision, PR Daily, and PR News. She has received a number of awards locally and nationally, including Columbus Business First 40 Under 40, Class of 2016, (laughs) PR News, Top Women in PR, and Smart Business Network Smart 50. Let's just talk about your resume, and you just give me a quick, quick, you know, rundown of where you started all the way through today. Yeah, so um, I went to the University of Akron, so I'm a zip. Yes, go zips. I'm the oldest of five children, and so family is a big deal to me. We started in Akron, and I moved to Columbus about 10 years ago when I got married. Um, I've been here ever since, but didn't know anyone when I started out here, no family or friends or anything, so really built my network and community from scratch. And Columbus, as you know, is very welcoming. And there's a lot of amazing women in Columbus as well, which we'll talk more about. When I moved here, I didn't have a job line up or anything. I became a marketing director at Chick-fil-A, actually, which was a wonderful... five years ago? No, this was 10 years ago. Oh, I thought you said five. Uh, 10, I think. Okay, cool. 10, just for the record. (laughs) It's been 10 years of marriage, so (laughs) that's why I keep trying. (laughs) Um, So I moved here, and um, 
I, when I go and speak on campuses or whatever, I'll tell students, you know, if you have a chance to go for the title and maybe the money isn't there, go for the title because you're setting yourself up for success going forward. And so as a marketing director, I was basically a glorified intern, but it was a great title and it helped me in the future. So I started there and then I went agency for a couple years at that experience. That was really pivotal. Um, I call it my boot camp experience where I was working about 90 hours a week. I was their top performer. So I was... Wait, wait, wait. 90 hours a week. What is even your day? When do you start Yeah, work? it's not pleasant. <laughs> it's not pleasant. You don't take lunch. I would get up, go through my email, get ready for work, go to work, stay at work till like 7 or 8, go home, prep for the day, and come back. And often I'd work weekends. It's amazing. You think it's not possible, but it is. Your, your life is just consumed by work. And that's, I mean, we'll talk about that fast yeah. forward later, but in your space, you know, you're in a journalist and in the media space, I was working with media and securing 25 to 50 media opportunities for clients per week. So just to give oh you a number, gosh. I mean, it was crazy. It was kind of what we call in the industry, like a churn and burn scenario. But I learned so, so much and I would not be where I am. I mean, you take those experiences and you take the good out of them and that's what gets you to the next level. You can look at, look at it as all negative, but you're never going to move forward if yeah. you do that, right? So anyway, I learned a ton. Um, then I went nonprofit for about nine months, just gave myself a break. I, at that point um, in going nonprofit, I decided I didn't like PR and I would never do it again if it was this ever, <laughs> ever, which is hilarious looking yeah. at where I am now. But if it was like this, I wasn't going to do it and I was burned out. And so went nonprofit, missed PR and, start, and started consulting. Um, and then from there, I did that on the side. Um, and then I gave notice, gave like a month's notice, told my boss, he was real sweet about it. And I set out on my own. Wow. Yeah. At Bell. And so from there, I mean, we've grown the team now to a team of 16 across six states and it's been six years in April. So, wow. Yeah. A lot in between there, right? There's a hurry up and then it kind of blew up, but right. it doesn't seem fast. You know, it's a progression every day. Is So when you went into the nonprofit space, what about PR drew you back to it? In the nonprofit space uh, where I was, I was a director of events and outreach. And so I really wasn't doing very much PR. So I think it was the absence of it. Yeah. And I realized I missed that meat of relationships mm -hmm. and, and securing. There's a thrill, you know, in pitching a story to journalists and they like it and they cover it. It's so thrilling. As a PR person, we love that experience. And so for me, the vision, um, really the mission of Bell is meaningful work and thriving relationships, empowering meaningful work and thriving relationships. And that's what. I realized was missing. I wanted to do that work that made me really excited and I got a lot of meaning and fulfillment out of it, but I didn't want to kill myself mm. and I didn't want to be in a hostile environment or feel like all I could do was work. I wanted those meaningful relationships with my husband and my family and my church family and my mm -hmm. team and all those pieces. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's at this point, you know, we talked recently, we won Inc. Best Places to Work, yeah. which is cool because that's what we were trying to do this whole time, right? Yeah. That meaningful work and thriving relationships. So before we kind of get into a little bit more questions about your experience, I would love for you to talk to me about conscious capitalism and radical candor because I hear a lot about it and some of our listeners might not know what it is. Yes. And I think that it's it's a great thing to talk about and especially since it's such a oh, – I was yeah. looking on your website and I even see that it's a part yeah. of how you guys operate. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, so the idea of conscious capitalism, it's a national movement. It may even be international actually, mm -hmm. but we have a chapter here in Columbus, which is kind of rare. For those listening, they should definitely check it out 
growth are interested. And so conscious capitalism is about you prioritize your people, the stakeholders, you know, your community, your team, all those pieces. And the idea is that you focus there and profit follows. One of the co-founders of this movement was the um, founder of Whole Foods, for example. So just um, there's a lot of meat in this movement. And the reason why I got involved, I went to an introductory meeting as it was getting started here. I don't even think the chapter was fully formed. Um, and they were talking about how important culture is and how it's all about your people and it's all about investing in them and creating a space where they can thrive. And they were talking about all these tenants and I, I was like, wow, this is what I've been doing and there's a whole group for this, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are someone who you really care about investing in your people and investing in the community and all that, conscious capitalism is something you should explore and we have a thriving chapter here and a really strong board. Cool. And yeah. then Radical Candor. So the Radical That's Candor fun. piece. So that book's amazing. Have yeah. you read that book? I, I've heard all about it, oh. but I, I've been meaning to pick it up for a while. You have to read that book. Yeah. I mean, the baseline idea is that you can be radically candid when you radically care about someone. And that's really the only way you should be radically candid. Because other than that, you can end up coming across as aggressive or, you know, as women, we have that balance of... I've referred to it as kind of you're being too nice or you're being really like a know, bitch. A bitch. I didn't know if I was allowed to say that. A bitch. You're yeah, being a bitch. you can say it. Yeah. So uh, thanks for filling in the gap there. Yeah, you're, you're being bitchy. Yeah. And, and it is hard because so many of us have not had role models as women to know how do I walk that line of saying no you know, this is important and you need to do your job here or no, you, you offended me or whatever the crucial conversation is, which is another great book, yeah. crucial conversations. How do you have those candid conversations without making someone completely shut down mm. or being in a fear mindset, which puts you in your, I learned recently, if you're in that fight, flight or freeze mode, you go in your limbic system and you can't be in your PFC, which is your peripheral mm. cortex. You can't make decisions and operate in emotional intel intelligence if you're in that system. So if you are aggressive to someone, they don't know you care, you're not gonna hit, you're not gonna achieve anything really. You're just yeah. gonna make them shut down and it's it's a difficult situation. But radical candor, our whole team is very candid, but it's out of a place that we're trying to be better, we care about each other. Yeah. So it, you can definitely, if you are radically candid without the care, you create a hostile work culture, you get that cattiness that unfortunately can happen a lot in female dominated workplaces. I mean. Whatever that means for gender, it's true, mm -hmm. right? We can do a lot of backbiting and gossiping and picking at each other. So it's about that care. Bell is all women run, right? Yeah. That yeah. is so cool. Well, yeah, it's not just run. It's all women. Yeah. Um, and so originally I was, we're, you know, we're still a small company, so I don't have all the, you know, restrictions of ML, FMLA or all those things. Right. I love investing in women. And I felt this pushing to, okay, you need to look for more diversity as far as male hires. And we have had um, men work for us, and I, I like men just as much as the next girl. <laughs> um, and I just really like investing in women. At this stage in the game, the whole culture we have, it, we would have to shift it for sure if we, you know, one day we have guys join the ranks of, of the bells. Um, but we have these Thrive necklaces. We have to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? Maybe we'll give them a pin. You know, you have That's to figure so those things out. But, um, you know, I like investing in women. And I feel like there are a ton, there are not enough opportunities still for women, right? And so I think this is my opportunity. It's my business. And to being able to invest in young women, especially those who are kind of rising up in the ranks, it's so fulfilling. Yeah. What is, yeah. So what is that like? I mean, I can imagine like working with all women. I feel like it would be awesome, but exactly like you said, I yeah. think about 
you know, when I lived with a bunch of girls in college, yes. or like, does, like, do people just get on each other's nerves a lot? Right. Yeah. So it is unlike, it is so special and it is unlike anything I've ever experienced. So we have bell trips twice a year. So our teams spread out over six states and they work remotely. So that in itself self is a whole discussion, right? How do you maintain a culture despite not being able to meet someone in person, yeah. right? For months and months and months. Um, about half of our team is here, but the rest is spread out. So these Bell team trips, we bring everybody together. Last year, we in October, we were in Key West. Stop. Yes, actually. It what? Was a, it was a really an amazing trip. All of our clients were very jealous. They were like, can we come? <laughs> <laughs> so it was honestly like sisters. Oh and my gosh. it's not... It's, I mean, I'm still in awe, and if I were to outline exactly what we did, I couldn't because there's some magic in between that you can't document, right? But I think um, it really comes down to, as a founder, you start the culture, right? And as a CEO, you absolutely drive that culture in a sense that the fish stinks from the head down, right? <laughs> that idea, right? So, But every team member is a culture keeper. Every team member is a champion of culture. If they didn't invest in that, if they didn't care about each other, we wouldn't be able to have what we have. But I mean, we were doing yoga on the beach because one of the girls said, Hey, I can teach us yoga in the morning. We all went out there and did yoga on the beach. We, we were staying up late, just hanging out together. That it's really so cool. Fun. Yeah. It's oh very gosh. precious. It's amazing. And you guys do that every year? Yeah. We do it twice a year. Twice a year? Yeah. So it's changed. The locations change. This year we're going to Chicago. I try to do a Columbus trip and then also somewhere else because our base is here in Columbus. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you find your remote employees? Were just connections? I get that question all the time, actually. So what happens, because we have such a good culture, people refer people. So at this point, like, you know, we'll hit times in growth where we're trying to make sure we we have to be aggressive about finding people, right? Okay, we need to hire now. You can't rush it though. Yeah. You cannot rush it or it'll hurt your culture. Mm-hmm. And hiring is so hard. Anybody who runs a business or you know uh, leads a business knows hiring is extremely difficult. It's hard to find good people and it's hard to keep good people. The way we keep good people is we have unlimited vacation. We have amazing benefits. Unlimited vacation, eight weeks paid maternity leave with 12 weeks off. We have a flexible schedule. So if your mom comes into town or something, you're like, I want to cut out for half a day. Fine, cut out and, you know, adjust your schedule as you go. And then, you know, things like team trips and stuff. Those benefits, especially for millennials right now, it means you never have to leave. If you have a great culture, you get paid what you should and you have great benefits. We have team members who, we had one who was here in Columbus who moved to Nashville and she's still working for us, right? So we can just grow with them. I love it. It's one of my favorite things. That sounds like it. Yeah. So let's go back a little bit. So I would love to talk to you a little bit about what starting your business was actually like. So I read on your website that you'd said, you know, in reality, you were starting your business with little experience. It sounds like you had more experience than what you what you might think. But would you recommend that to a yeah. woman um, to, to go out on a limb and mm-hmm. start her own business, no matter what sphere that's in, um, yeah. without maybe a ton of experience behind her? So you bring up a good point. So I had no business experience, but I did have expertise. Mm. And so when I am talking to students on campus, it's different than you know someone who's in the workforce. Um, they'll say, "I want to do what you do, right?" This really this ambitious generation we have, right? Yeah. I want to do it, and I will you know be candid with them and tell them, "And you may want it, but you don't have any credibility." right yeah. now. You have no credibility. You have to invest in that. I worked my butt off, mm-hmm. you know, and did that boot camp experience and, you know, had an experience before and after that that got me to the point where I could 
jump in and help um, friends, you know, get media opportunities in a week because mm -hmm. I just knew it. It was a deep expertise. I knew how to speak to the media and what they would actually be interested in. So whatever your expertise is, if you're at a point where you have expertise, where you can be a credible subject matter expert, mm -hmm. um, someone who, you know, it could be anything, but someone uh, who's an expert in social media right now, you can pretty easily become a, a consultant, yeah. help agencies, things like that. But as long as you have um, some experience under your belt and you can speak to something with credibility, then I would say it's a matter of, do you want to be responsible for your livelihood? And I, it, given the choice now between traditional work and um, working on your own, you actually have more control. That's my, my take on it. You have more control because at the end of the day, I know where the money is. I know if we're healthy as a business or not. I know if we have to tighten things up or if we have room to hire again. Um, I know if the economy is going down, here's our game plan. I know that I'm not going to just be laid off. Yeah. There's a lot of control that you have as a business owner mm -hmm. that even though it is hard because at the end of the day, the reason I formed Boss Society, if I can segue there. Yes, I would so, love to. Boss Society um, is millennial female, it's a group of millennial female business owners. And the premise is you have to be scaling a business, so it's not a consultant kind of thing. Yeah. You're growing a business. And so for that reason, you feel the weight of business ownership, right? You feel the highs mm -hmm. of, it's amazing, we won these awards, I got this hire, I got this client. But then you feel the, oh my gosh, my clients aren't paying me in time. I don't have enough cash in the bank. Mm -hmm. Or this person just lied to me. How do I handle it? Or this client just fired me. You know, all these experience, like, I don't know if I'm going to have enough to make ends meet, or I don't know what to do next. That is what Boss Society is about. It's bringing women together. And it's a small group. That's it's a amazing. select group because um, we don't want any conflicts in the group, right? Yeah. So we wouldn't have another PR agency in there or whatever. Um, so we bring women in who are uh, complementary in their goals and not conflicting in their types of business. Okay. We're, there's about 12 of us right now. I love that. That is so cool that you're providing like a a space for people to just talk like things out and get advice because I yeah. couldn't imagine scaling a business. I mean, that's just well, that's and, crazy. And you did say, I mean, you know, what did that look like starting out? I built my website myself. I taught myself WordPress. Yeah. I figured out how to do it. You know, I launched my social channels. I designed graphics. I picked up the phone and called people and asked if I could work with them. Mm -hmm. I tapped my network. I sent blind emails to businesses that I thought were really you, cool to see if they would hire me. I love that. Are you a fan? So are you a fan of cold calls, cold emails? Because some people are like, no, not at all. So I ha here's my opinion on that, okay? So because I actually coach on um, like social selling a lot. So there's two sides of the, of the coin. So either way, you're interrupting someone. On the one hand, <laughs> if you have someone knocking on your door to you know, upgrade your energy bill or whatever, that is an interruption you do not want, right? Yeah. Unless you were really planning on that. I don't know anyone who was thinking about that <laughs> during the middle of the day. So you get that unsolicited call, email, whatever it is, and it's not targeted, that's an interruption that none of us want to do because you're going to be shut down and shut down hard. Right. The other end of the spectrum with interruption is I know that what I have is very valuable. I've seen results with it. People like you are super happy with it. I think that there, you would be a good fit based on what I've learned about you. And I send you, I call you or send you an email or send you a LinkedIn message, whatever it is. And I'm showing the value up front. If it's the right time, 
that may move you right into an opportunity. Like if someone reaches out to me about HR support, I have someone now, so don't reach out. But <laughs> at the time when someone did, I was able to say, hey, this is actually someone we need. And I passed on, even though it was an interruption, yeah. right? So we have to be willing to interrupt. You have to be willing to do the cold call. And millennials in particular, that generation, we are very adverse to the phone, right? I know. I mean, my job is to call people all the time. Yeah. So I just kind of have to, I had when I started as an intern a couple of years ago, they were like, just do it. And yeah. I'm, I was fine with it. But yeah. there it's are some hard. that's like, I would so rather hard. die than call the pizza man. Yeah. It I gives get the you, calling thing. And that actually will give you an upper hand within your generation, honestly, um, unless they start picking up. But one of the things when I started working with media, we called it dialing for dollars. Like they made <laughs> you just pick up and call radio stations because they're trying to get people on. And radio, you're not going to email radio. You yeah. have to call and talk to them. Right. And it has to be during certain hours. You're going to probably, I've been live on air accidentally. There's all kinds of things that happen. <laughs> you just have to be up for it, you know? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So really that startup piece, mm-hmm. um, getting started, there's different ways you can go. You can put a bunch of money, throw a bunch of money at it, you know, and have other people do it for you if you have the money that route will work. If not, many of us, right, we're being scrappy, bootstrapping. I started with no extra money. I just had my laptop and my husband was super supportive and said, hey, could you not go into debt? Is that possible with this? So what does that mean? I work from home and I found out I loved it. And now that's the structure of our whole company. Right. Yeah. So Kate Mm -hmm. or um, Mary was telling me that you guys are all remote. There's no office. Yep. No office. That's crazy. And I don't think there ever will be one. I think we might have some co-working space. We work um, at Versa sometimes Uh locally, but as, um, as a business owner, when I, there's part of it that is strategic, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of it actually, but I don't want to feel the pressure of having to be in an office. Mm. Um, how often is the CEO in the office or whatever? That's not where I have my most productive time. It's when I'm sitting out in my backyard and thinking and those different pieces. And honestly, I'm going to be, I want the ability to travel and, you know, live in Puerto Rico for a few months out of the year or whatever. Have you done that? Uh, yeah, I'm going to be in Puerto Rico for a few months out of the year. I'm a big fan of PR, um, a PR and PR, I guess. Um, but Puerto Rico is beautiful, beautiful oceans. I've been there three times. There's three little islands that make up Puerto Rico. So your I, family's gonna just go? Yeah, or just my, you? it's just my husband and I right now. Okay. So yep, we'll move over there, and then I'll just work from PR for a few months oh out of the year. Gosh. Yeah. You're yeah. my hero. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I'll let you know how it goes. Okay, please. <laughs> I'm really excited about it. Okay, so going back to a question that I had for you, which we were kind of talking about this a little bit. So when you were starting out, how did you know that your idea for Bell was worth buying into? How did you know it was worth the risk and worth the jump? Well, the thing is, you don't know. Yeah. You don't know. There's no way. You don't know. You can look. You can research. Um, I did a lot of research. I read a lot of blogs. I followed people who I aspirationally wanted to potentially go that direction, so other people who were successful in PR. But the reason why so many people, uh, I think, one of the reasons why people who want to be entrepreneurs and don't, the reason they don't do that is because it's scary and you don't know. Yeah. Like you are taking a leap. It is a jump. And even if it goes well, it could go south, right? The econ- People have the economy crashes, right? That still happens. Yeah. You make bad business decisions. You lose money. You make bad hires. You make bad, I've talked about that to you guys before, client hires, right? Uh, all those pieces. And I've made my fair share of uh, mistakes. I've wasted tens of thousands of dollars. Like, you make mistakes. Um, So there's no absolute guarantee. And that's why it's so 
for me, getting past that five-year point as an entrepreneur um, and as a female entrepreneur, mm -hmm. getting my business past five years, that's very that's very hard to do. Is that That's rare. Mm -hmm. And also getting past your first million in revenue. So that was, for us, that was the Key West trip. It was like, we hit that goal, let's yeah. go and all celebrate together because we all worked toward it, right? Yeah. You just don't know. And um, you have to be willing to take the risk. When I started and uh, someone gave me the advice that I took to heart, which was, once you decide to do this, you need to come to terms with no longer being employable. Hmm. You're no longer employable. This hmm. is you now. You, this is you. You chart your own course, and there's no back door to this. Like, you're not going to pull a parachute. This is it. So you commit, you know, and yeah. just say this has no choice but to succeed. Hmm. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more. Let's talk about the burnout culture you were experiencing yeah. um, when you were at that agency and how that's really impacted how you work uh, and how you build a team. PR is scary when it comes to the stress statistics. It's one of the top stressful industries in the U.S. It beats out firefighters some years. What? I know. <laughs> it's crazy. It's because it's customer service overload, right? Yeah. So you have fire drills all the time. We remind ourselves that, hey, this isn't rocket science. This isn't brain surgery. But to our clients, it feels that crucial, mm -hmm. right? So you have to be really, oh, you have to be committed to not taking things to heart, Right, because it can wear on you, you know, that, oh, I, I, did I do this perfect or not? And we have a team of what I call recovering perfectionists, mm -hmm. right? We started there and we realized that's never going to be attainable. So we're trying to work our way back from perfectionism. But really looking at the industry as a whole, we work our, our employees so hard. Um, so it's not uncommon to have a 60-hour work week or an 80-hour work week. And it's the idea of, you know, the PR girl model, right? Like you just put your heels on, you just go, 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 the sex the in the city, hustle, right? hustle, hustle, hustle. Yeah. Just get it done. But what we're finding is you can hustle during those 40 hours in the work week, bring your A game for that, and then check out because guess what? Your brain needs a break. If you're supposed to be creative, you cannot be on all the time. I know entrepreneurs who haven't taken a full week off. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. you're, you're doing a disservice to yourself and your team. Mm -hmm. The first year, I took time off, but I, I still wasn't completely unplugged. Mm -hmm. The second year, I took a full two weeks off. That's awesome. And it was I remember blogging about it because it was significant, and I came back and freaked my team out because I was so full of ideas. They're like, slow down, <laughs> put it in a document, stop. Was it a staycation or was it like a vacation? It was the beach. That's okay. where I get refreshed if you're yep. seeing a, a theme there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the beach does it for me. So, yeah. But yeah, that our industry is just notorious for kind of churning, churning employees. And so what happens is they work at an agency, get that experience, they burn out, and then they go corporate. And so what's happening in our space right now, we can't find account executives. That middle tier is not there because they start out, they burn out and leave, mm. and then maybe come back later. So what we're finding is we're actually having to cultivate AEs ourselves, raise them through the ranks, and keep them. Wow. Yeah. And so in order to do that, you have to create a place that doesn't make them want to leave because they they're working stay. so much. Yes, because yeah. you've invested all that, and it's a long a long game. And um, how we do that at Bell is we give promotion opportunities early and often. They get opportunities to, like, lead accounts mm -hmm. even a couple years in because they're so freaking smart. Mm -hmm. So um, if they're willing to step their game up and do the work, they're going to get the opportunity. Yeah. yeah. And so then we have team members. My first team member I ever hired is still with us, so six years. Um, and then our next, I think, is three and a half years, two years. So it's a long time, like half the life of our agency or more right. um, in, in tenure in our team. Yeah. And so for you, was that something that was really hard on you, working those crazy hours? And 
Yeah, I didn't realize it at the time. I gained like 20 pounds mm-hmm. um, over a period of a year. I gained 20 pounds. I was never seeing my husband. We would never leave for lunch. We would, someone, an intern, a poor intern, oh my gosh, our interns were treated so poorly. They were just yelled at, whatever. So they would leave, grab us, you know, coffee from McDonald's or whatever you would eat. You wouldn't leave your desk. It was just, it was horrible. Um, and it's just not something, it's a business model, right? So for some people, that is it. They look they look at the numbers, that's just what they do, and they make it work. Right. But it's not a business model that I want to be a part of. And our industry, I do think, is starting to change. Because as owners, we want that flexibility, too. And it's not fair for us to get it without giving that to our teams. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. That sounds yeah. so great. So, and, and I mean, I think that that's so true in so many different um career industry. So there's this challenge right now, um, specifically um, that group of women I mentioned, Boss Society. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about the challenge of mentorship and how there are these women who have just kicked ass. They are amazing. Um, In Columbus, they're here. They're amazing. But they have gritted and grinded and worked so hard to get to the top that there's this gap now because there's Mm. a feeling of, and it may or may not be true, but it's the vibe that has been put out there that, look, I worked hard. You're going to have to just figure it out. Like the sorority thing where like, well, you have to go through whatever it's called an initiation or I don't know. I wasn't in one, but like, yeah, you have to do, you have to do the hard work because I did. Yes. And so that gets to when we talk about culture and and cattiness and things like that, that's old school. We don't want that Mm. anymore, right? We need collaboration. And we we talk a lot about men being the problem, and I'm, I don't think we should demonize either gender. I think women can be a big problem, yeah. right? Because we put that on each other of, well, find your own group. This group's taken or whatever Absolutely. it is. So with mentorship, I read something recently about how it's evolving. There's this old school thinking of mentorship where it's like, okay, you're officially my mentor. We're going to get <laughs> coffee once a month. And it's this formal thing. Right. That's not working for the structure today. Um, mm-hmm. Now it's you may not even mention the word mentorship. It's more like, hey, can I send you an email with a few questions? Or, hey, could we go to coffee? And it's not a scheduled thing that you know occurs over and again necessarily. But I've had women who have, I don't want to demonize that demographic either. I have um, a woman, Elise Mitchell, she's my coach now. She grew her agency to 13 million, then sold it um, to a national agency and became the CEO of their PR division. So she's like a powerhouse of a woman. And she was so kind um, and saw the potential probably or something and spending some time. She gave me an hour of her time. Just I said, hey, can I call you or can we get on a video call? And she was so generous. Mm-hmm. I didn't even realize how uh, you know amazing and successful she was at the time for her to give that time. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what I have to make time for as well, right? So all of us in our stages of life and success, whatever it is, being willing to give the person the cup of coffee. And also, if you can't do that, because I can't do that all the time growing a company, right? here's the blog post I wrote about it. If you have specific questions, email them to me and I will send you answers back. I may not be able to drive 30 minutes, spend an hour there, drive 30 minutes back, but I could hop on a call with yeah. you. And I think that's what's happening in mentorship now. But I, we really do. We need women who are older to give us more time. Yeah. And then for us, for my age group, we need to be willing to do the same thing. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think that that can be a big obstacle. And sometimes I feel like we feel awkward admitting that because it's like, I don't want to pit myself against other women, but that can happen. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I, I definitely agree with that. So I want to do this little experiment. So 
I'm Kate, and this is my life, and I'm a CEO. I wake up in the morning. What does your life look like? Just so women listeners can get a picture of, like, maybe, oh, I want to start a business. Well, here's what my life actually looks like. Yeah, I'll be really honest. So some mornings I, like, intend to get up at – I get up around 7 every day. I want to work out every day. I don't work out every day. I work out like one to three times a week right now, and I'm doing good. Dude. Um, yeah. Yes, me too. <laughs> I'm on that track right now. I'm like, this is like a good yeah. mix. Not too much. Not too Yeah, little. and just working your way up, giving yourself grace, I yeah. think is so, so important. But anyway, so I get up around 7, unless I have to, unless there's an early meeting I have to prep for. Um, And I try to leave 7 to 9 open so I can get the things personally I want to do, like my personal rocks, and then prep myself for the day. And then I don't take meetings till 9 or after. I am always trying to tweak my calendar to make it optimal, but I've found a really sweet spot now, I think, where Mondays, uh, each day of the week, I have a different kind of rhythm. So Monday, it's all about the team and getting ready for the week. Tuesday's my think big day. They're all tied to our core beliefs. Oh my gosh, I love this. Um, so Tuesday's my think big day. So I'll be researching and reading and investing in my brain so I can pour it back to my team and my clients. And then Wednesday, Wednesday is all about communication, getting the team what they need. Thursday is being a team player, attending meetings and all that. So all my meetings will be on Wednesday and Thursday. Sometimes there's some trickle over to Friday, but I try to leave that as a buffer too because we get bogged down in meetings, right? Yeah. You're in meetings all the time, and so then you have no time to do the work or right. think. So my my day-to-day, really, those are the, the buckets. And then I, so I get up around 7, spend that time. I try to not be in my inbox very much. I have the email app off of my phone. Mm. Becca from Tree Tree <laughs> does this too. You take email <laughs> off your phone. Then I, I just do whatever I need to do meetings-wise, right? So I tried. I have all kinds of systems, though. I mean, I have a wonderful assistant. I'm a big proponent of having a great executive assistant. Yeah. And so she'll make sure everything's scheduled out and I have buffers in between. But my time right now is spent on growing the business, uh, business development, so finding good fits for our, our uh, team client-wise, and then whatever the team needs culture-wise. Yeah. So that's basically what my day looks like. So when you have those requests, one offer, like, hey, let's just connect and network. I have to be really selective now and, and transparent, be candid and say, you know, right now I have to focus on these three priorities and that doesn't fit within it. Yeah. Um, or, you know, hey, follow up with me in a few months and let's see if we can do it. Yeah. But yeah, it has to be very organized. I am a type A person. <laughs> I have to be very ambitious about my schedule in order for us to keep moving forward and to get done at a reasonable time of day. Yeah. I try to be done by five, yeah. hang out with my husband and go for walks in German Village or go to events, whatever. Right. And in Puerto Rico, I'm going to want a little more time, right? Yeah. So be super smart. Absolutely. <laughs> Condense that time. Yeah. yeah. That's great. I think, I don't know, I feel like having those different, like, scheduled days makes so much sense. I, I love it. It's freeing. Yeah. Because then you're not thinking, even the time in the morning, if you can carve out when, so you work out, you do the things you need to do, right? right. Carve that time out because... If you do that, then you release yourself of the pressure of, I need to get to work, I need to get to work. No, I don't. I right. wasn't going to start till 9. Right. So I can be present in what I'm trying to do this morning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Or even just switch it, like maybe you get in earlier, but then you leave earlier. Exactly. So you can have, like... And don't feel guilty. Yeah. I'm done at 3 because I got here early. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's cool. So now I have our lightning round question. So okay. whatever you think of when I ask you these, just tell me the first thing that comes <coughs> to your head. What's the biggest myth about being a female executive? that the female part matters very much because it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I love that. That's awesome. What did you want to be when you grew up? A figure skater and a police officer. So somehow I was going to combine those 
two things. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Wait, what, at the same time? Like you, at the same time? Well, my in dad was a police officer, so I really wanted to do that, but then I really loved uh, Christina Yamaguchi or whatever. Yeah. yeah, so it was, you know, I was going to figure it out. I did actually do figure skating lessons. Okay, I was going to ask. Never pursued police academy, though. <laughs> that's so funny. Oh Okay, how do you feel about being classified as a female CEO instead of just CEO? Which um, kind of goes back to the first question. I think there's value in it because it is, it's harder and more rare. It's a newer thing, really. I mean, for if you look at history, for yeah. female CEOs to even be around. I think it was in the 80s when you still needed a male family member to sign off on you having a business. Mm -hmm. So it's a newer thing still in yeah. history. Um, I think it's cool and helps drill down in stats like I was talking about, like how successful is your business? What are your goals? But it doesn't really, that delineation within business doesn't affect my day to day. And I don't, I've never, I've never really experienced much discrimination for it or anything. I yeah. mean, honestly, I think if anything, it's back to the women supporting women issue. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been very fortunate to not, you know, have that go the other way. Yeah. That's great. What do you know now that you wish you knew at the very beginning of your career, like fresh out of college in Akron doing hmm. your thing? I wish I knew that idea of radical candor sooner hmm. because there were times where I went into bitch mode, to mm -hmm. be honest. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't, I just was, just, oh, just get it done, yeah. you know? And thankfully I learned that early on in bell, you know, my bell career, but I wish I would have known that and had someone kind of explain that process because yeah. it's about really caring for people yeah. and listening to them, you know, and, and their point of view. It's empathy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, do you know Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye? Oh, I... He's I like the guy with the long hair. Yeah, yeah. He has a podcast and it's amazing, but he had Melinda Gates on there and she oh, was talking wow. about her career and... Mm -hmm. When she was younger, she had, you know, was starting up at Microsoft and mm -hmm. she was like, I just had to be mean. I had to yeah. be cutthroat because yeah. I thought that that's what I had to be. And then she's like, I realized that actually wasn't really my personality and figuring out how to use your personality to mm. lead a team rather yes. than like faking it almost. That's so good. You know? Being yourself because we spend so much time, right? Even imposter syndrome, yes. right? Be yourself. That's what people want. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Who is your biggest role model or mentor? I mean, right now I would say it's Elise, the woman I mentioned previously. I've had all different kinds of role models and mentors. My mom will always be my role model to, you know, to that degree of like she raised me and gave me those foundational principles like um, it never hurts to ask, which when I say best business advice ever, that's from my mom. Never <laughs> yeah. hurts to ask. The worst you can hear is no. Yeah. Really served me well. But at this point, I, I'm really learning so much from Elise. Um, I really appreciate her a lot. Yeah. Great. Okay. Cool. Well, that's all I have. Thank you so much, yes. Kate. This is so oh, fun. Oh, it's wonderful being here. Thanks for your time. Yeah.